is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Hi guys, my name is Ben and I'm a member of Jubilee here in Derby. Um, thank you very much for joining us this morning. You're very welcome. Um, and today we're in the second in our series of, of talks on Advent, uh, looking at the, the, the perspective of those who were around Jesus at the time of his birth. Today we're going to be looking at the, the birth of Jesus through the eyes of the wise men. And I'll be honest with you, when Graham sent this, this uh, brief through about the wise men, I really struggled to begin with. I thought, well, what is there to say? It's, it's a really straightforward story. You know, these three blokes, kings, hop on a camel each. They've got their, their shoebox nicely wrapped in the shiniest Christmas paper they could find. And they put in a bit of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And they, they ride on over some nice moonlit uh, sand dunes. And eventually they find themselves in, in Bethlehem. Um, bow down, meet Jesus, um, and go home. Surely that's, that's about it, fairly straightforward. Not quite sure how I was gonna fit that into, into more than even five minutes. I hope that like me, you'll, uh, you'll come to realize a little bit by the end of this talk, if I can communicate it properly, that, that actually this story has relevance even for us today, even now. You see, it feels like we're all currently in a season of waiting. If there's one thing that COVID-19 makes you do and has made us all do, it's wait. Waiting for a vaccine, although we're nearly there now, I suppose, but still not really. Waiting to be able to see families and friends without restriction, without having to spend hours trying to figure out how you bubble up with three households or, or who, who's getting left out this year. Waiting to be able to go on a bus or into work without having a wet, to wear a mask. Not just COVID either, but as a, as a Christian in an increasingly secular country, I often uh, find myself as culture becomes more uh, foreign hostile to much of its old Christian underpinnings. And I find myself waiting, waiting for God, waiting for revival, waiting for, for faith to come back to the nation. And as we turn to the story of the wise men this morning, we find also a people who are waiting. You see, although there's no gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament in our Bibles, you, know, you turn a page and you've gone from Malachi to Matthew, um, you'll notice that the, the world you find yourself in is completely different in the two. See, there's actually a 400 year gap. And in that 400 years, the Jews have heard nothing from God. No prophets, no inspired word, no message. A lot of false prophets came and went, a lot of false messiahs came and went, but none of it turned out to be true. None of it turned out to be inspired and from God. As we leave the Old Testament, Israel is, well, Judah is, is a tiny na temple nation found in the Persian Empire. It's got a little bit of freedom to sort of, a little bit of religious freedom at least, to, to do what it wants, but it's still 
under the control of the Persians. Then in those 400 years, they've been conquered again by Alexander the Great, then by his generals after Alexander the Great dies. Then they have a brief hundred year stint of independence, but it goes absolutely awfully. And then just before Jesus is born, uh, Jerusalem is sieged and conquered twice by the Romans within a 30 year period. And they put Herod the Great on the throne. The Jews of this period find themselves scattered. There's more of them outside uh, Israel and Judah than there are inside. They're split into fractions and they're all longing and waiting for this promised Messiah, this, this promised anointed one, who's going to bring an end to this 400 years of exile and, and subjugation to foreign powers. Not only the Jews, but clearly these wise men have also been waiting. They must have been studying this night sky dutifully, daily, that they might spot this sudden star. The story of these wise men is found in chapter two of the gospel according to Matthew, and it reads as follows. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So who were these Magi? See, it's really easy to miss their importance amidst our sort of romanticised uh, memories of nativity plays and Christmas scenery. Magi comes from an ancient Greek word, magos, which derives from a Persian term denoting a pagan priestly caste. It's the same term used in contemporary Greek translations of bits of the Old Testament, for example, to describe the Egyptian sorcerers of Exodus, so the uh, people, Pharaoh's sorcerers, who also tried to confound Moses by turning their staffs into snakes, or the Babylonian wise men consulted by Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel. You see, in antiquity, much importance was placed upon astrological events. And it was often felt, uh, believed that they could portend to the future. It's likely that these magi were specialists in interpreting dreams, specialists in astrology and astronomy. 
They would have been men actually of great importance. Hence, when they arrive, it's, it's not a quiet thing. These magi coming to visit was a big deal. They often went, uh, there's a lot of cases in, in ancient literature of, of these magi coming and visiting kings and emperors. Hence, all of Jerusalem's disturbed by their visit. It's not a quiet thing. Matthew doesn't actually state there are three of them. It's probably that that's a myth that's come from the fact that there are three gifts. It's also very, very unlikely that they were kings. Matthew would likely have mentioned it if they were. Where did they come from? Probably Persia or Babylonia. Possibly, more likely probably, with an entourage. Um, in these other cases where they'd visited kings and emperors in the past, they'd had huge amounts of sort of men to help feed them, massive trains of people. We just don't know whether there were that many with them this time, whether it was a more low-key event. Either way, all of Jerusalem stood up by their visit. It's also likely they arrived several weeks or even months after Jesus was born. You'll notice that in the scripture from Matthew, by the time they get there, Jesus is now in a house, not in a stable. And of the star, well, most scholars think it was most likely a supernatural cause, i.e. God made it specifically. But what about this star made this group of men travel easily over a thousand miles to worship this baby boy? The most likely explanation finds its roots in the faithfulness of a man called Daniel about 550 years earlier. See, in the book of Daniel, we find the story of another man who is also waiting. It starts with Daniel and his friends being captured after Jerusalem is besieged and conquered by the Babylonians. Daniel's chosen to serve in the courts of the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and as those of you who, who know the story will remember, he was tested many, many times throughout his life, but remained faithful and remained effective for God. God used him so effectively that even the pagan kings were impressed by him and actually made him leader of the wise men. In Daniel 2, um, effectively, Nebuchadnezzar the king is troubled by a dream that he just can't answer and none of his wise men, these magi, can answer it either. So Nebuchadnezzar says, right, you're all rubbish, get rid of all of you. But Daniel prays to God and asks for the interpretation. And he's the only one who can give this interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar says in, in Daniel 2 verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour in order that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. You see, how do these people, how do these magi know that this star pertains to the king of the Jews? It seems most likely that the foundation of this visitation of the magi were laid by Daniel and his faithfulness to God over 500 years before. Through his work, the cast of the Magi were made aware of the Hebrew scriptures. Now, one of the most popular uh, messianic prophecies at the time of Jesus' birth is from Numbers. 
In Numbers 22 to 24, this enemy king of Moab asks a pagan sorcerer, translated in the Greek at the time, Magoi or Magi, again, uh, called Balaam, to curse Israel. But this pagan enemy instead prophesies over Israel in Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And actually, in many contemporary versions uh, that were around uh, the time of Jesus' birth, it's actually replaced with the term, um, a king shall rise out of Jacob instead of a star. So we can see that this is one of the verses that people at the time took as being a prophecy, a direct prophecy of, of this coming Messiah. Again, through this, what do we see? We see that God remains in complete control of history, weaving countless storylines through his scripture that lead us to Jesus. You see here some pagan sorcerers, some these magi, are led to the king of the universe from a foreign and likely hostile land via the traditions laid down by the faithfulness of Daniel 500 years earlier that points to the prophecy of another pagan magi or sorcerer 1,400 years before Jesus' birth. I just think that's amazing that God just weaves these amazing storylines, weaves these what seem to be coincidences, what seem to be unrelated into his redemption story, into this redemption arc that flows throughout the whole of scripture. What then is the response of the Jewish leadership who were supposedly easily, eagerly awaiting the Messiah too? Herod, well, he's supposedly a convert to Judaism, but clearly doesn't know any of the scriptures because he immediately has to ask them, where's, where's this Messiah being born then? Um, we're told that all of Jerusalem's disturbed with Herod. And that probably means these teachers of the law, these, these rulers who have Herod's installed alongside him. You'll notice that Matthew doesn't mention that a single one of them actually go with the Magi to go and seek after this true king, even though they know the prophecies. And that got me thinking, what was it that kept the Jewish leaders from seeking this true king? when the pagans found the answer. You see, we're all searching and waiting for answers just as they were. And I think some of it is that the truth is it's, it's very easy to seek God, but not really be searching after him, but rather what he could give us. Truth be told in our busy and modern world, it's really easy to crowd out even the activity of seeking. I know that I'm guilty frequently of seeking only after God when something goes wrong in my life. It's all too easy amongst the busyness of our modern lives to only approach God when we need to. But that's not the same as actively seeking after him, as these magi did. It's also easy to fall into the trap that Daniel could have fallen into when he was taken captive by the Babylonians. That is, it's easy to seek what we think God should do or what we think he should be doing. It would have been all too easy for Daniel as a young man to fall into fighting against the Babylonians thinking that's what God wanted him to do, seeking the redemption of the kingdom of Judah. 
Instead, he seeks God's will and submits himself to it. And amongst other things, his faithfulness leads in part to the visit of these magi 500 years earlier at the birth of Jesus. I think in other cases with these chief priests, I think we can see some of them are probably zealots expecting a mighty warrior king who's going to overthrow the Romans, maybe even overthrow Herod and restore Israel. They missed the baby Jesus. And they sat back as Herod took action against all the male toddlers of Bethlehem. Some were probably too arrogant. Surely these pagans don't know more about where our Messiah is coming than we do. And they also miss the king. For people who don't know Jesus, even the very notion of seeking after God today can seem far-fetched. Our culture has gone from one of being strong, one of strong Christian tradition to increasingly hostile secularism within the space of a single generation. Our culture has changed dramatically within the space of even my lifetime. Faith now is often openly derided or more frequently just quietly scoffed at. I remember as an undergraduate at university studying a science, uh, my professors used to frequently uh, scoff and, and taunt faith and uh, make open boasts of atheism. Even at work where, you know, what's this, <laughs> you never discuss religion or politics at work, they, they tell us. Um, someone said to me, Ben, I just can't believe that you're a Christian. I just can't believe it. can't believe that someone who is scientifically minded and, and, and logical would believe all that rubbish. It can be hard to see God when your culture tells you that he doesn't exist and that it doesn't matter if he does. However, we know that all of scripture is God-breathed. All of it has a purpose. All of it is useful to us and all of it is relevant to us today. The story of the Magi in Matthew, it's there for a reason. But why? Why is it there? I think it's because God gave a pagan sorcerer a correct prophecy 1,400 years before the birth of Christ in order that a group of pagan astrologers might come to know the king of the universe. It's not an accident. God literally ordains a star. He literally puts a star in the sky that these men might come to have the opportunity to find the answer to their seeking. Whilst the upright, correct, righteous teachers of the law completely miss the dawn of the greatest gift the world's ever seen, these pagan sinners, these unclean Gentiles, come and meet God. The good news of Jesus and the good news of the Magi, the story of the Magi, is that God answers genuine seeking regardless of your age, your background, your ethnicity, your gender, your mistakes, your history, your character flaws, whatever you can think of, the story of the good news of Jesus is that God answers your seeking. As Jesus says later on in Matthew, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
The translation given to the Magi finding Jesus in the story is overjoyed in our English versions. But the literal translation from the Greek is they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It's almost like they can't physically fit into a sentence how joyful the Magi are when they finally come and see that the stars over this house. The story of the Magi is also another reminder in the perfection of God's timing. His perfect weaving of the prophecies of the Old Testament with the circumstances of the Jews in Daniel, the provision of a star, all of which allow these seekers to find this king. The 400 years between the Testaments mean that there's a common language around the Mediterranean, Greek, controlled by a single interconnected Roman Empire, with Jews scattered all throughout the world. This sets the perfect ground for the spread of the early church. As Paul writes in Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. So my response to this story, my response to this invitation to seek, was to ask myself, am I seeking? Am I truly seeking after God? Daily, hour by hour, day by day, am I seeking after him? Or am I sat in my comfort zone, happy with what I know, happy with my nice uh, intellectual, theological knowledge of God, but not actually seeking after him? Happy to carry on with what I've got, until the next bump in the road of life forces me to come back to him. And if I am seeking, what am I seeking? Am I seeking God for who he is? Or, you know, as an end to it in himself? Or am I seeking God as a means to my ends? And finally, as I sit and think about how God leads these pagans, these sinners, to him with a star, with, with a 1,400 year backstory that they might get the opportunity to meet the King of Kings. I sit and I think to myself, what falsehoods am I holding on to about my identity in Christ that is stopping me from seeking him fully? If even these pagan Gentiles sought and were answered, how much more so do we, the adopted sons and daughters of the living God, have nothing to, to hold us back from seeking after him with all our hearts. And to anyone who's listening and, and doesn't yet know Christ, my prayer is that the story of the wise men inspires you to keep seeking for the truth of this truly good news this Christmas. Remember, it's the object of your faith, not the strength of your faith that saves you. God promises that if you seek him, you will find him, and with him, life in all its fullness. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.